0: I'm Daniel Giacopelli, it's the 28th of April, and this is The Courier Daily. Every day we're talking with small business owners all over the world to hear how they're surviving, coping, adapting, pivoting, and growing. And today we're in Hong Kong for a special roundtable on lessons from the local hospitality industry. I'm on the line now with Matt Reed, Alexi Off, and Courier's Julia Ahern. Matt's the co-founder of Maximal Concepts, and he's well-known on the Asian restaurant scene with tons of restaurant brands under his belt. He's best known for Mott 32, a modern Chinese restaurant with locations all over the world from Hong Kong and Vancouver to Las Vegas. Alexi is co-founder, along with his sister, of Meraki Hospitality Group, which operates three restaurants in Hong Kong and one in Paris, ranging from Brazilian, Japanese, and Middle Eastern to Malaysian. And Julia, I want to start with you because you're based normally in London, but you're from Hong Kong and you've been back there for a few weeks now. Have you seen a tightening and loosening of restrictions for restaurants just in the time that you've been there?
1: Yeah, definitely. So when I first got back about six weeks ago, a lot of places had restrictions in place for people that had been entering Hong Kong from overseas, like myself. So if you have been out of the country, especially someone like the UK, if in the last two weeks, you were not allowed to enter. Well, you would have to sign a declaration stating that you hadn't been out of the country. But also just sort of as common practice, I wasn't really going out for the first two weeks. I got back just before the government restrictions were put in place of quarantine, which I was very happy about. But yeah, it was lay low for the first couple of weeks. And then I would say after that, there was still a sort of atmosphere of not going out and being socially responsible. From my perspective, I've definitely seen an easing up of that in the last few weeks, I would say. I mean, you're still only allowed to be at a table with four people, and then even then you have to be one and a half meters away from the table next to you. Temperature checks when you enter, and you have to sanitize your hands and sign the declaration again. Yeah, I mean, this week, and I've been out to like three or four restaurants, one of which was sip song Matt, which seems really popular especially on sunday it's a really nice day at the beach
0: are most people though julia are most people still a bit wary of going out Are your friends a bit like mm, should i really do that or are they just like to hell with this i'm gonna go out and have some fun and try to stay away from other people as much as possible
1: i think that there's probably a little bit of a divide between maybe the expat community and the local community in terms of who's comfortable doing what But I think that people in Hong Kong like going out and sharing meals with your friends and family is super important, especially if you're cooped up in a really small flat. So I think people seem to be going out a lot more. That's from a sort of customer observation anyway.
0: Matt, um, just to bring you in here, I mean, your hospitality group runs a number of different restaurants all over the world. I mean, you're most famous for obviously MOT 32, the modern Chinese restaurant. You've got locations all over the world, from Vancouver to to Singapore. I mean, how have you managed to keep that quite large chain afloat during this time? Have there been ups and downs?
2: It's not been easy, of, of course. We used to obviously really think about global diversification as a positive, but we never envisaged a time when every single restaurant around the world would be shut. So that was difficult. I think being in a business model of some being licenses has helped because we're not bearing all of those challenges in every location. And obviously, it's important to have a good partner in that regard, but it also brings a whole heap of challenges because to reopen them, if that team doesn't remain that we've trained, how do we reopen them all again? So there's, you know, there's pros and cons there. I think with anything mean, when you're a big engine, it's harder to deal with it. And we had to just make a lot of really hard decisions and make them as quickly as we could. And I think we learned a lot through coming through the protests. So we'd already kind of been through a process of really analyzing need-to-haves, must-haves, how do we do what we do? And then this just pushed us over to places we didn't even think we could go, you know?
0: Yeah, and Alexi, you've opened your Malaysian restaurant, Jalan, rather recently, and it's probably been sandwiched between the protests and this pandemic, right? I mean, it's just crisis after crisis.
3: Yeah, I mean we thought we we would get through it because we, we had a pretty strong concept and unfortunately we we started construction literally I think the week before the the protest hit and you know it was too late to, to back out and we thought okay well we'll still be able to manage the opening and it's been tough and right when you know December, January arrived, you know, everybody kinda thought it's gonna get better and then end of Jan this hit so we're like oh here we go again so what Matt just said is Hong Kong compared to other places in the world, is we've been in this situation for the past eight, nine, ten months, right. We've already been running on you know a skeleton on having to change a lot of things in the business models that that we usually had, so we kind of grew into it, so it's not been a drastic change. From a month to another or a week to another, we've we've kind of had to adapt since, you know, eight, nine months ago, so it's tough for everybody. We have a restaurant in Paris as well, and funny enough, February was our best month in Paris for all the the restaurants within the group, and then at the same time, February was one of the worst months for our restaurants in Hong Kong, so it was very, very strange, and then a, a month later, all of a sudden in, in Paris, we had to shut from, like, a day's notice, so... It's been a roller coaster ride since since a couple of months.
0: That's a really interesting thing. I just wanted to ask you about that, Matt, because you obviously have a number of restaurants worldwide. I mean, do you sort of A B test different strategies of survival across those different markets? Because out of necessity, I mean, the regulations and what you can and cannot do are just different, you know, across the world.
2: Actually what I was gonna say is I think what's been the hardest thing about Hong Kong, because there's there's pros and cons, like the fact that we haven't had a complete lockdown has in some ways a good thing, some ways a bad thing. But the hardest thing in Hong Kong is complete lack of governmental support. If, if you compare France, and I'm sure Alexei has some interesting insights here, but you know when they shut everything down, they came in and contributed to rent, they paid a minimum wage, the UK did the same, Australia did the same, America did a huge bailout for small business operations, hasn't gone that well, but they tried pretty hard. Hong Kong did nothing. We always kind of felt that they didn't shut us down enough so that they didn't have to cover it. And what frustrates us is 10% of the Hong Kong population works inside hospitality. You've got an issue with protests. A lot of students graduate into food and beverage. They're highly influenced by that. Wasn't this the greatest opportunity to come in with a country that has one of the largest cash surpluses in the world to come in and actually show some leadership and try and build some bridges? And I think they've just guaranteed that the protests will be worse. We've let go of hundreds of employees. I see them as in a highly influenced position. And, and even us as leaders are more negative than we ever were before. I think that's that's the big frustration.
0: Alexi, I mean, are you guys trying all of the usual tricks that all restaurants all over the world are trying with you know, curbside pickup, delivery, at home, make your own X, Y, Z boxes, stuff like that?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's you, you have to try everything, right? I think we're quite lucky to have a good structure, but yet still be quite small in a sense. And that enables us to be super agile and flexible, which is key in this critical time. We've started our own delivery um, system, which is picking up. It's working quite well. Obviously, it's not uh, bringing, you know, a regular month of revenue, but, you know, it it does help, especially with half capacity restaurants, right?
0: So all three of your restaurants in Hong Kong are, are still open?
3: Yeah, exactly. So we Closed a little bit when they announced the closures of the bars. So we closed like for 10 days. Just cause, you know, it was actually a, a big relief for, for the whole teams because we didn't know where we were going. And like Matt said, there was a real big gray area from the government and, and we're like, okay, let's just shut down, you know, everybody de-stress. It'll give us a week, 10 days to pick back up and start with, with new, new things. So we, you know, we changed the hours, changed the menus, started doing our, our own deliveries. But I think the way we function and, and the way we train our staff has really benefited us now is we've always had this entrepreneurial approach to running our business, whether it's our managers, our chefs, or any of our staff, and, you know, being super transparent with them and and sharing the difficulties that we as a company are in that, you know, they're in as well, indirectly or directly, of course, and they kind of all started, you know, giving ideas, and they all felt super implicated, right? And and that's how we kind of all are going in the same direction. And it's really, really helping, actually, because we all have that same mindset and it's just a we'll fight through it you know we've been through the protests where we again had no help from anyone whatsoever it's tough we need to make hard decisions but you know we'll get through this and and whatever comes after that you know
0: Matt I mean for your restaurant empire as it were do you try to claim as many local loans as you can from the government in which you are I mean you know from the American government the Canadian government the Singaporean government
2: Our international restaurants are through with licensed partners. So I know that Sands Casino, for example, did a huge program with uh, Nevada State and with the government. So we're, we're tied in with through our partners in that regard. But we haven't been doing that directly ourselves. So, you know, from our perspective, Hong Kong is our home base and was always the bigger part of that in that sense. So not directly, but definitely indirectly.
0: And in Hong Kong, I mean, back in 2003, when SARS happened, I mean, it almost killed the local restaurant and hospitality scene, right? But after that, a lot of fresh blood moved in because the rents were so low. And it seemed like that actually kicked off some sort of creative, entrepreneurial whatever. Do you think this is similar or is this actually not similar at all? And this is going to be a long term downturn in the restaurant industry?
2: It's hard to say, right? Because the problem with this is that the end is not clear in our planning, if we knew or had a plan of, of an end that we could go to, and, and when the end is not clear, capital is never available. You know, there's so much financial opportunity that comes out of a downturn. It's normally in certain sectors. But what this one is, 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 is multi-sector, right? And especially obviously, hospitality, airlines, tourism, travel. There's huge waves of that we just don't know the recovery time, the impacts of that. And nor will investors. So I think that Yes, homegrown opportunities always come out of a downturn and drops in prices and costs and so on. But this is, it feels a bit different in the sense that I think we're going to experience a ripple effect for a while. I think we don't really know the the true new normal. I don't see there being as much of an immediate bounce like SARS. That's my sense, but it's hard to read.
3: I would agree. I think the uncertainty is, you know, whats what's going to be the new normal, you know, some say the regulations are going to be extended, you know, what is going to be extended, whether it's in Hong Kong or abroad, you know, it's probably the US and, and Europe are going to be affected much longer. And because we're we're simply not used to uh, wearing masks or or having those sort of things put in place in, in other parts of the world, you know, what's it going to be in hotels, in, in airlines, in, in restaurants? And so it's a bit unclear. And, for sure, one thing is it's going to take a bit of time, even though, I mean, you can feel, you know, on the weekends that the restaurants are getting slightly busier. That's a positive thing to see. But when is it going to get back to normal? And and one thing to keep in mind is that, you know, a lot of people have had to take pay cuts at some point, you know, unpaid leave. So, you know, the, the spending power is going to be much lower than it used to be. You know, you're, you're possibly, you're 600 Average Czech restaurant is going to be your 500 now or your 450, right? So it's there's going to be a lot of repercussions on, on that sense as well. So you kind of have to reevaluate, okay, what do we do with our pricing? You know, I think we don't have fine dining restaurants within the group. We're kind of the middle range casual. But, you know, I think right now fine dining is suffering a lot as well because there's just no real demand for it cuz it's very expensive and and people stay in so you know the whole point of fine dining is is an experience in in itself you know with the with the service the storytelling etc but it's going to take a, a lot of time hong kong is definitely going to hopefully get back on its feet earlier than the rest of the world but then you know there's the second question of when are the protests going to start again, right?
0: Do you think dark kitchens and other kind of hybrid models like that will take off a lot more? We did a big feature in the last issue of the magazine about ghost kitchens and dark kitchens where, you know, these, these vast kitchens where multiple brands are using the facility and it's all delivery. So it's the opposite of fine dining, but at least it's slightly more safe. Do you, is there a market like that for such a concept in Hong Kong?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think so. And and we're already starting to see it in Hong Kong. I mean, Hong Kong for delivery apps and companies, you know, it's a very unique market because it's so densely populated. It's so centralized. You know, everything happens in two, three, four neighborhoods compared to big cities like London, New York, Paris, you know. So it's very easy to reach, you know, it's Kennedy Town to Causeway Bay is 10 minutes if it drives pretty well, you know. So it's quite unique. And we're already starting to see it, ghost kitchens and, and whatnot. And definitely, It's going to increase that type of business model, whether it's an extension of a restaurant, you know, just to be able to reach a different part of Hong Kong or delivery only restaurants, right? Just strictly delivery or or maybe takeaway, but it's going to, push towards that, like hotels, experiences in in general and and in restaurants, I think nowadays with the storytelling and everything and people with the isolation are going to want that a lot more as well. And they're going to cherish that probably. So there's still going to be room for for restaurants that have a very strong uh, storytelling and and experience within dining, but definitely there's going to be a a bit of an increase with ghost kitchens or takeaways or, or deliveries
2: for sure. I mean, actually, I just completely agree. I think that what we're looking at is you're seeing some interesting shifts in behavior, right? So, and pattern shifts. The big question is which ones will stick? Online delivery is, and the shift towards sort of, you know, digital purchasing is seeing a massive boom coming out of this. Less so in Hong Kong, more in other parts of the world. Hong Kong is not really very mature when it comes to buying online. We just haven't got there. It consistently fails here, which is weird I got a theory but it's a it's a strange one which is and it's going to sound pretty awful but I'm saying anyway most people have a maid that goes and buys them stuff and that works just great like <laughs> so if it ain't broke don 't fix it like my water supply is bought by X you know and the logistics hasn't really caught up with it and so it's a poor experience like you try and buy on like our supermarkets here and it's awful you know People just don't do it. Like, I, I don't know. I think we've had it really easy. The, the challenge is that, that suburban liver, we don't really have that, right? Most people actually live in your apartment. It's just, if you compare the whole of mid-levels, it's a unique market in that regard. And that's why I think there's a transition shift that's not the same as you're seeing in the UK and, and the US and so on. So I think that's the variation there. But yeah, the big question is the shift to pattern and subscription ordering. I think people are getting inspired by cooking. Yes, they are bored of it, but they're probably finding new patterns. So I think we will be interesting to see how that shakes out.
0: And that's it for today. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts. And as ever, sign up to our newsletter, Courier Weekly, for more stories of pivoting, adapting, and growing head to couriermedia.co slash sign up. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. This show's back again tomorrow.